Hey, everybody, it's Jason Calacanis, and we got a great episode for you today. But before we get to that amazing episode, I want to talk to you a little bit about our upcoming event, Scale. I'm going to talk for the next three minutes. So if you want to fast forward right now, two minutes and 50 seconds, you can skip this little promo for the Launch Scale Conference. That conference is happening October 10th and 11th here in San Francisco. We have a thousand tickets available for free to our founder friends. You can go to launchscale.net slash tickets to get one of those free tickets. You apply for it. If you're a venture capitalist or from a big company, please buy a ticket. But we do like to give away those thousand tickets to founders. As you know, we don't make money from our events. We make money from angel investing in companies. And speaking of investing in companies, we have five startup slots available at LaunchScale. And these will be for companies that want to raise money with the Seed Invest platform. And those companies, thanks to my friend Ryan from Seed Invest, will be able to present on stage and receive feedback from myself and Ryan and one other investor in a mentoring session. If you want to be one of the five companies and want to go through the Seed Invest platforms program, which I just did with Inside.com, and it went very well, and I'm very pleased, go ahead and visit launchscale.net slash crowdfunding, launchscale.net slash crowdfunding, and you can apply for one of those five startup slots. This is an incredible opportunity to get feedback from great investors, promote your brand, hire talent, and raise money, all the important things that startups need to do. Now, a lot of people have asked me, can I speak at LaunchScale? Yes, you can. There are two ways to speak at LaunchScale. One is you apply, and that's on the website at launchscale.net. And when you apply, understand that it's not about you. You're not there to promote yourself. You're there to share knowledge and help other founders grow their companies. That's why the conference is called Scale. The reason our conferences are so good is because we require that people have their decks in two weeks before the event and that they do a rehearsal at least one, sometimes two or three, before we let them on stage. Because we have these qualifiers... Every event, we have two or three speakers drop out at the last minute because they don't want to get their homework done. And we replace them with other great speakers. So if you want to apply, go ahead. I don't recommend applying to speak at this unless you're serious about providing massive value. The second way is you can become a partner. And we allow our partners to actually pitch from the stage their product or service uh, for 8, 10, 12 minutes. And that's part of how we pay for the event. It's how we keep the lights on. And I really appreciate anybody who wants to be a partner. If you want to be a partner and you want to pay uh, to buy everybody lunch or dinner, Email me, jason at calacanis.com. I answer my email, jason at calacanis.com, C-A-L-A-C-A-N-I-S.com. You know my email. Okay, let's get on to this amazing episode, which I really enjoyed uh, this conversation. So enjoy. This Week in Startups is brought to you by ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Twist listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash twist. And Uber. Read all about the ways Uber is moving forward by going to Uber.com slash moving forward. Hey, everybody. Welcome to This Week in Startups. I'm your host, Jason Calacanis, an angel investor here in the Silicon Valley. One of the most pressing issues for our society here in the United States is incarceration of Americans. We have one of the largest populations incarcerated, many of them. Uh, for low end uh, drug offenses that, paradoxically, ironically, are now legal in most states. So you'll have one person sell a bag of weed in one state 
and get arrested and put in jail for 10 years. And then somebody sells a bag of weed in another state, they get a million dollars in investment from someone like me, <laughs> Kush Marketplace. It is bonkers. And the inequality uh, disparity uh, over incarceration in the United States is abysmal. Population of the United States, 15% African-American. Po- representation in prison, 30% or so, 35 um, Everybody knows the criminal justice system is biased in our country. And when you get out of jail and you try to start your life over again, it's really hard. We talk a lot in Silicon Valley about making a difference. My guest today is doing just that with her startup Promise, which you can visit at joinpromise.com. Her name is Phaedra Ellis Lampkins, and I had the a delightful conversation with her at the Kapoor Center about mm-hmm. life, startups, uh, race, mm-hmm, justice, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and uh, all the other light conversations you can imagine having. And after our delightful conversation, I invited her to come on my podcast, and she said yes. So, Phaedra, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Uh, get right up on that microphone. About two or three inches is good. And um, go. tell us. There you go. Boom. What is promise and why did you start it yeah um promise is an alternative to incarceration so we work with governments to either figure out how someone can instead of being incarcerated be supported through promise so it's technology both for the folks that are supporting that person whether they're probation case managers and it also is for people post-release and so we can do everything from visits so someone can go to work and they don't have to come in somewhere to reminders about when and where they need to be in court and um, and so basically it functions as their support system outside of being incarcerated. And the initial product mm-hmm. that you went to market with is what? Yeah. It's, so first, it's always exciting because we have clients, which <laughs> yes. I feel like at every startup, is like it no longer is a and dream. And you know who your clients right, are. Like actually, <laughs> and they need you. Right, right. So it's like this. So we think of our clients as two groups of people. One is the folks that are monitoring and supporting these folks. And the second is the people that otherwise would be incarcerated or Mm. have been released. Mm. And I think part of what's important is when we looked at things that had been designed for this population, we realized that a lot of stuff was designed really horrifically. And so we hired people from Uber and Stripe and other places so that it was actually designed with a customer experience. And so a person is posting bail and... Great question. So let's just yeah. walk through how it works, yeah. right? Walk me through it, yeah. Yeah. So there's two types of people we might work with. Yeah. One is someone who's just been arrested, and we say to a government, instead of having someone have to pay bail, work with us, and we'll provide support. It's important to note we don't constantly surveil people. What we do is we can do verifications, an AA meeting. Um, you need to do a check-in. And so what we do is basically a court-mandated plan of all the things they need to do before they go back to court. Got it. And so it's important to know that two-thirds of jail populations are pre-trial. That means they're in jail, but they have not been convicted of the crime they were arrested for. That is stunning. Right. Two-thirds. Two-thirds. And wow. so in places like St. Louis, it's almost 90%. And so what we said is, why are counties paying to keep people in jail who've not been convicted of a crime right. and who are too poor to just afford bail? Like, that's 
beyond ridiculous. And the reason would be flight risk, I guess, is the stated reason? No. Yeah. Well, someone might say that, but two-thirds of those folks are nonviolent offenders. So it's mostly poor people who can't afford bail. So you might have a $500 bail that requires $50 to pay to a bail bonds person. But remember, you never get that money back. Uh, uh, so in that case, someone just can't afford it. So most people we work with can't afford bail. Got it. So this is an injustice Really, to poor people. Totally, it, totally. I mean, it's a it's a flawed, broken system, right? That says that, and in, in essence, that if you have money or basically can afford a payday loan with a bail bonds person, mm. you're more likely to come back to court, which we know now is not true. Right. The people who have the money actually have the means to be a flight risk. Right. Right. If, if we are talking about flight risk, but the number of times people actually flee is very, very small. And it's, it's also important to note that bail is basically an insurance product, right? And so mm-hmm. it is an almost never paid, right? It's almost never paid. Right. And so the f- folks are very, and remember most people who are in jail in these places have technical violations. So it's mm-hmm. not folks who've committed a significant crime. It's I missed an appointment. I didn't come to court on the right day. And so it's lo- a lot of low risk folks, working people, moms trying to make it. Got it. So, if they're convicted of a violent crime, that's a different category. We might, there is an argument on a society base that this person was being convicted of murder or whatever. Yeah, we don't want them on the street. Uh, well, it's important to know no one's actually been convicted yet, right? Right. In pretrial. And we know the system is flawed, so we know that not all people who are arrested are guilty. And so guilty, certain, yeah. right. Innocent until so, proven guilty. Right, innocent until proven guilty. So, but certainly what we often see is that judges take discretion at bail right. and unless they have a bail schedule. And so they set bail based on that. And so right. we started with a nonviolent population. Yeah, it seems like that is a much easier one to, it's, it's much less controversial because a nonviolent person is probably not going to commit a violent crime after being released on bail. Whereas a person who is being convicted of a violent crime, there is a much be, it must be a much higher percentage chance that they would do something violent. That would be a huge risk for a judge or for you. Yeah, well, part of what I think is important to determine is like yeah. what is violent, right? So in San Francisco, one of the most common violent crimes is which is a violent felony is taking a cell phone. So I also think it's really important that as we use words you mean stealing like a cell phone. stealing a cell phone, like ripping a cell phone out of somebody's hand, yeah, so is a violent take, crime. it's a violent crime. One right. of the biggest violent crimes in San Francisco. So huh. if I take a cell phone from you, right. it's a violent crime. If I steal it from a store, it's a misdemeanor. Interesting. And so it's important to me that as we think about this, like I'm not concerned. It's mostly young people. Mm. Is um, I'm not as concerned about what I think the term violent means because I think it's often misused. It's most often be used yeah. with you know people who can't fight back. So. Yeah, grabbing a cell phone and running. Right. Certainly different than walking up to somebody and stabbing them like what happened in Oakland or Certainly there's yeah. a difference between someone committing yeah. murder after yeah. being convicted and also someone stealing a cell phone. But it's important to know that when we talk about who most of those violent folks are that we're mostly talking about people like who steal cell phones. Right. We're not talking about yeah. people who've been murdered. Right. Uh and you can parse that, I guess. You can yeah, look absolutely. at it. Um so Instead of um, them posting the money for bail, you say, hey, this person is going to do these five or six behaviors. We're going to have them check in on our app or we're going to meet them at the AA meeting and make sure they're there. How do you do that? Technically? Yeah, it's uh, location. So what we yeah. do is we go somewhere and we say, are you there? They check in. We verify through GPS that they're where they're supposed to be Got and it. when they leave. And then we can report that they've actually done what they said they were so doing. So using technology's most basic feature totally. <laughs> to solve sending an officer to knock on the door. Right. 
or, right. you know. Exactly. Or for example, you might have to do check-ins. Right now, check-ins happen where you have to call a phone number and talk to someone. Mm. Technology can do that much better, right? Because yeah. otherwise what happens is you have to wait till that person gets off the phone. You have to keep calling until that one person answers. And mm. so we can do those kind of things through technology. And you could do video, totally. right? And well, video yeah. would be a higher level of yeah. authentication because you could spoof somebody's voice, right? That must happen. Criminals must do that when they're being checked on. There must be records of people doing that saying like, oh, you know, it's me. <laughs> yeah, how, well, do they, how do they test that? Like a parole yeah. officer, how would they test yeah, that it was so, actually you? Yeah, so what we can do is we can verify, and this is where we have these amazing, both engineers, we find that video often identifies the wrong folks, especially for people of color. Huh. So we don't use video, we do use- You mean with facial recognition? With facial recognition. Is that right? It is, I so we don't. That. No, there's, part of what we thought was really important is to have folks on staff who were either criminologists or who did human design and to actually have experience in this. And so it's made it really clear that some of the things you think about are actually built problematically for the people that are most likely to be in the system. All right, when we get back, I wanna understand how you make money with Promise and everybody can check joinpromise.com. Great. And if you want to, you can follow Phaedra. She is on the Twitter, I'm not sure how active. P-H-A-E-D-R-A-E-L. <laughs> I, I just deleted it off my phone for the next 30 days. Oh, I love it's it. it's so toxic. But when we get back, how Phaedra makes money with Promise. I have 150 investments. Number one challenge I get from my founders is hiring. And you know what I tell them? I say, go to ZipRecruiter. Because it will post to job sites and the platform brings the right candidates to you. It identifies people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. Not like posting to a job site and waiting and waiting. These invitations have revolutionized how you find your next hire. 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. And ZipRecruiter even spotlights the strongest applications you receive, so you never miss a great match. What are you waiting for? You have like three or four positions to uh, fill. I know it. If you're listening to the show, you got to fill those positions. Go over to ZipRecruiter.com slash twist. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash twist. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free. That's right. It's the smartest way to hire. The right candidates are out there. You just got to go find them, and ZipRecruiter knows how to get them. So get over there, ZipRecruiter.com slash twist. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to This Week in Startups. I'm your host, Jason Calacanis. We do the show twice a week. We have done so for nine years. You can help by emailing thisweekinstartups.com to your friend uh, who is in the business and who doesn't know about the show yet. My guest today, Phaedra Ellis Lampkins. Uh, she is the co-founder of Promise, which just went through Y Combinator, I believe. Yeah, last. Congratulations. Thanks. And raised $3 million for my friends at first round. Yeah. And... Holla, Jay-Z's Rock Nation is in the building. Yeah, we raised four, but that's okay. Oh, okay. My, I'm correcting my notes there. Jackie, <laughs> Emmy Award winning producer Jackie, I'm taking one of those Emmys. You say, you just you know a good founder. They want credit. <laughs> I raised four. <laughs> it's 4.2 now. Fine. Right, right. <laughs> and my friends at K-Poor and 8VC. Who's 8VC? I don't know that. Uh, Joe Lonsdale. Oh, Joe Lonsdale. Okay, there you go. So that's a pretty um, high caliber group of people. And they invest in some cases to make impact, K-Poor, and I'm not sure about Jay-Z, we haven't worked together, but I know First Round and 8VC are not impact investors, they're return-based investors. They are, they are. Um, and First Round led. And First Round led it, fantastic. So let's get to the economics of this. Yeah. You're doing this to make a business. Yeah. 
it obviously is going to do good in the world, but there's got to be an underlying business. If you of raise course. $4 million and you get on the venture capital track, yeah. what is the business here? Well, the business is we want to save counties money instead of someone being in jail, which might be anywhere from 70 to $500 a night, you can pay us. Ah. And so people that would otherwise be incarcerated, you pay us and we make sure to reduce your failure to appear rate and other things. Interesting. So let me ask a stupid question. When you're in jail on mm-hmm. bail, are you responsible to pay that money? No. So if you are uh, convicted of a crime mm-hmm. and you're kept in, yeah, you don't have to pay it. No. Interesting. So, And I would just say one thing, which is what happens is the longer you stay in, the more likely you are to go back. And our clients are mostly county governments. And mm-hmm. so if, let's say, you stay in for four days and you're a mom, you probably lose your job. You lose your housing, which creates a second layer of chaos for the county, right? Because oh now God. you come there for social services. So what we say to counties is let's get people out of jail as quickly as possible and let's get them home and let's help them be successful in their own lives. Yeah. Figure out why this happened and, and yep. get them on the right track. Yeah. We call it a care plan to provide support so that people can be successful in their own lives. I noticed, yeah, you don't use the word criminal. You, no, I don't. You use specific language. Yeah. Let's talk about that language. What is the proper way to look at these folks? Well, what, the, do you, what are the words you use? Yeah. So one is I recognize as a woman of color who came from a single mom, mm. I recognize that the, how I grew up, the people I grew up with are often the people that are in the system. Mm. And so I recognize, but like, therefore the grace of God go I. Yeah. And so I'm very conscious of that fact. I think about when I volunteered in prison and I volunteered with folks who'd been to Google and other companies that the folks who were in jail often had done the same things that the people that worked at companies were, they just had better lawyers. And so I'm conscious of the fact that it's folks who have little resources, little support, who are trying to do the best they can. So we think of them as clients and participants, and we think our success of our company will be measured by how well they do in their own lives, Mm. which is how we want to be measured. Participants. I like that. Yeah. Um, So you charge the state... 50 bucks a day instead of 100 or 200? Is that how it works? We charge them. We don't charge per day because I think it's the wrong incentive system. Ah. What we charge is either the volume and then we want to be charged on do they stay out of the system? Because we think the metrics are wrong, right? Ideally, government should charge you based on does the person succeed so that my sales team is not trying to get people in every day, but that our operations and sales team are trying to get folks to succeed and get out of the system. It's really interesting uh, when you put it that way because... There is a perverse system at work that has really started to come to light, which is the privatization of Mm -hmm. the prison system. Mm -hmm. And we have multiple examples of Mm -hmm. judges Mm -hmm. and local law enforcement putting people in jail and getting kickbacks. Yeah, it's the it's the you know, I used to run a sales team at a startup before I came here. And if I told my sales team we got paid per day no matter what I said about good values, they would spend the whole time trying to get people into in every day because they would think that's what their commission was measured on. Yeah. So it's why it's a it's the wrong way to incentivize and the wrong way to think about pricing. Mm. And also because then our success is connected to the success of the system. Mm. And they there isn't too false. Um, it's like it's a false narrative. And it's just so we want the pricing to be connected to actual success in the system. So you'll just give them a flat rate. Here's the fee for the time before their trial. Yeah, we do. 500 we have cl- bucks. Or we have something. clients. So yeah, we get paid. That's how we get paid. Just so you how do you come up with that fee? 
Yeah. So we started it on volume and then now we're moving to reduction of failure to appear rates, meaning that the more successful we are getting people back to court, the more that we get paid so that we are incentivized. And then our long term is how do you make sure people don't go back in the system? Because all of our resources should be dedicated to that. That'd be interesting. Um, you haven't figured out how to charge for that one yet, though. No, we haven't. And part of it is we're a new company, yeah. right? And so, yeah. you know, like when we built the model for this company, we thought we'd have one client right now. We have six clients. And so we also are growing really rapidly. Clients being the locations or people in those locations? Uh, the locations. The locations. The you have many more participants. Yeah. Participants. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I'm getting yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. So... Uh, how many participants ballpark have run this system? Hundreds, thousands, dozens? Um, in a, in a system you might have, and one County we're working with, they have 50,000 people per year that go to jail. We'll probably work with a certain percentage of that population. And so it depends on just the County. Got it. Yeah. Uh, so you're just getting started. We are. We just started our first clients uh, a little over six weeks ago. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Congrats. Thank you. Um, and how do they look at it? How do local governments look at it? Is it a hard sell or is it a no-brainer for them? They, are they looking for a new solution yeah. or do they like the current solution the way it is? Well, do you get resistance from them? Yeah. So, so we don't have a sales team, so that should tell you something. Mm. And um, so far, we haven't done outbound. We've only had inbound, which I think is a really good indicator. Mm. And so I think that when we're ready, right right now, we have to make sure our product is amazing, that we deliver it very well, that there's good product market fit, that we feel like we can scale it, and so that we know what's being delivered is as high quality as possible, um, so that we test all the bugs, which is what we spent the last couple months doing. Um, but so far, it's been really good, and it's been inbound, and so I think it's a good indicator. I think I'll have a better sense as we start to go outbound, but we just haven't had to need to yet. Yeah, you're going to have to dial in the product for the first year mm-hmm. and make sure that people actually show up. Mm-hmm. What are your ideas? Uh, why do people not show up? Yeah. What we found is that most often people don't show up for practical reasons. Like I don't have a babysitter. Um, my car doesn't work. How do I get there? One of the most compelling stories to me was I met someone um, and she had someone that she worked with show up on her door, a bounty hunter show up on her door looking for him. And we talked to him and we said, what happened? And he said, when he went to court, they gave him a piece of paper, which is what you get in most places, a piece of paper that tells you when to come back to court. It's handwritten. So he went to court on the 28th. He went to court and the clerk said, that's a six. You were supposed to be here on the 26th. There's a warrant out for your arrest. Wow. And so he said, don't go in. And when we talked to him. It's like, he's like, now I'm on the run, right? Because I work, I have to pay child support. Yeah. And, um, I'm responsible. And he's like, what do I do? Like, and he didn't know how to deal with the system. Right. So we were able to say like, talk to your public defender, but he was scared. He'd be arrested. He'd lose his job and it would create additional chaos. So I think it's important to know that some of it's very basic, like making sure someone can read the date they're supposed to be back in court. Yeah. I had a interesting experience when I got pulled into court for driving a little too fast. Uh huh. Where, which I bet you got out of. Of course I got out of it. Right. It's like, come on. Yeah, Pedro. the way the system works. Pedro. I know. Look at white you. White male privilege. White male money. It's like uh, no, yeah. it's not even the money. It's all the uh, family members who are cops. Oh no, uh, it's yeah, money, <laughs> cops. I mean, that's why I don't think of people as criminals because I recognize that two people do the same thing and the system treats them differently. I, I have, yeah, I, without getting myself in trouble, I uh, I have a friend who has gotten out of a lot of speeding situations. I'm sure in his younger years. Right, and I have friends who get stopped for driving. 
for, for driving while black. Right. Yeah, not right. even That's speeding. Just, no, just not even speeding. Driving just being the in their speed neighborhoods, limit. knocking on their own doors. But when I, it was interesting when you bring this up. When I went to, I, I was driving at a speed I should not have been driving. Yeah. And that was a big mistake on my part. When I went to court, yeah. they just like, you show up on this date, and this is in LA when I lived in LA, and it was like a large window of time. Like, I had to right. be there at nine. Right. So you have to take the whole day off. You had to take the whole day off, which, right. you know, a CEO of a company, it's not the end of the world, but right. I'm sitting there from 9 a.m. and they're doing like two people an hour. The yeah. judge comes out and I was so nervous because the six people who went for me in the three hours before me, the judge was like, where were you? You're supposed to be here last week. Right. Technical he's failures. Like, Technical failures. And mm-hmm. he's like, or this is the third time I've had you in front of me for selling DVDs. Right. On the board, walking Santa Monica. Uh, go downstairs, spend 48 hours in jail, and then I'm going to see you in two days, and then I'll uh, right. you'll learn your lesson. And it was literally every single person was sent downstairs to spend the night in jail. And every single one. I would have told you, you don't have anything to worry about. <laughs> I would have, I mean, I mean that's, but that's the reality of the system, right? right. Is, but the, to your point, the, every single person, it seemed like, like one woman got up and she's like, listen, I have kids, I have a job, I couldn't be here. And right. it was exactly the reason you're talking about, just like just taking a day off Right. To go Monday through Friday, you lose your job. Right. You lose right. If you think I'm an hourly worker, I don't have consistency in my schedule. If I take off, I'm gonna lose my house. So all of the kind of practical logistical stuffs. And we think that the system can run better and technology should be used to do it better. Yeah. I was reading a statistic. The the gap between um there used to be a very huge gap uh between African Americans and whites in jail, mm-hmm. it's closed by like a third. And mm-hmm. I don't know if that's due to sentencing, policing, or actual crime statistics. Do you know? Uh, here's what I know. Yeah. I know that the, so let's start with who gets arrested, right? Yeah. You're more likely to be arrested if you're black or brown or poor. Sure. Then from who gets arrested, the longer you're in jail, the more likely you are to take a deal. And because part right. of the reality of why we get people in jail is because if I'm sitting there for two weeks, I probably, even if I'm innocent, I take a deal and then I'm on probation. I have a probation violation, which is how I end up back in jail. Got it. And so we see the difference both in sentencing, the difference between crack and cocaine, the difference in who gets arrested for what. So I don't think it is a one party. I think it's where you live, who gets policed, who gets arrested, who's most likely to have representation, and then what the sentence is based on that representation. And the breaking of bail. Yeah, which is uh, a broken system. I mean, it's it's the it's the worst or probation system. or any of those right. things. Probation like- is bro- like even. I mean, there's an amazing um, probation chief in Alameda County, but it used to be five years probation. Now it's gone to three, which is, and it really just you know the systems aren't built for people to succeed and to be able to go to work and to be able to be parents in their own families. Yeah, I was trying to figure out what exactly is the point of probation. Yeah, what is the stated point of probation? Yeah. Um, and does it work? Like, what is the goal here with probation and what is the efficacy? How do we know if it's working? Yeah. I've always wondered about this concept. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I'm probably not the best person to speak yeah. about probation because I wouldn't design the system yeah. that way. Right. I think a lot of what we think about is if we think about companies, right, yeah. that if companies were measured on does this person succeed, mm-hmm. right, that's really what all these systems should be measured on is not we should assume they come back, not we should assume that they're not going to succeed. These systems should be measured on. Do people not come back? Do we help them figure out how to succeed? And we think that's what we can do. All right. When we get back uh, from this very quick break, I want to figure out how you got Jay-Z to invest in your company. That is awesome. When we get back on This Week in Startups. Ah, uh, yes. Uber. Team Uber is working hard and they are moving forward and improving 
the rider and the driver experience. They're extremely focused and they now have a new pickup experience. Yes, one way they're doing it is with these new features and they take the stress out of your pickup. Using pickup notes in the Uber app, you can share a note with your driver on how to spot you, like letting the driver know what color shirt you're wearing or if you're wearing a baseball hat. You can also choose a color to light up your phone screen. You then hold it up and that helps your driver more easily locate you at night or in a crowd, imagine at the airport. So if you pick orange, my favorite color, you hold it up, the driver comes around, boom, they see the orange phone in the air and they zip, 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 pick you up and get you on your way. These are just some of the great new features that Uber has added to the app. I love the tipping, I am a big tipper and I like to tip for great service. I also, uh, you know, if the service isn't great, I think I like to give that three-star review. I don't wanna crush anybody. And I like to give that feedback about how to make the ride better. So, you know, that feedback is there and I think you should use it. Um, and if it's really good, you should consider a tip and the pickup notes are great. Okay, uh, to find out all the ways Uber is moving forward and see these great improvements, I want you to go to uber.com slash moving forward. That's uber.com slash moving forward. Again, uber.com slash moving forward. Go ahead and visit that and see all the great changes by my friends at Uber. What a great product, what a great service, and what a great company, and it's moving forward. Okay, let's get back to this amazing episode. Hey, everybody, welcome back to This Week in Startups. I'm your host, Jason Calacanis. If you haven't already, go to the iTunes store and rate and subscribe to the podcast. My guest today, Phaedra Ellis Lampkins from Promise. You can visit joinpromise.com. I assume you're hiring now that you've raised all this money. We are hiring. Developers? Developers. That's it. Developers, developers, developers. Developers, developers, developers. Where are you guys based? Oakland. Oakland. Uh, great to run a company over there, huh? Right. Who wants to be in San Francisco? Horrible. Except our clients. So let me just say we uh, love San Francisco. A lot of the participants. <laughs> let me just say we love San Francisco. A lot of One participants. of the first believers in us, though. We love the county and city of San Francisco. It's such a disaster, San Francisco. What is going on in the city? I mean, I, you know, again, we love the city and county of San Francisco. Right. You're not, you're not in a position to be (laughs) super critical, but it is bonkers here. The, I mean, coming from New York and LA, which are very large metropolitan areas, much larger, they just seem to be such higher functioning cities. And this one seems to have such a huge crime and poverty. We have a great experience with the city and county of San Francisco. (laughs) They were our first client. We very much appreciate them. Um, when we left our hero, that's you, Phaedra, uh, I was asking, how did you get Jay-Z's Rock Nation to be involved? I know Jay-Z is kind of on the periphery of startups. He's kind of into it, but he's his own entrepreneur. He starts his own things. He's one of the best business people I've ever met. For sure. Um, And how did he get involved in this? So um, I used to work with the musician Prince, and I met uh, Rock Nation through um, Prince, who was very much believed in the work that Jay-Z was doing through Tidal, and I think saw what he was doing as much of the manifestation of the dreams that he had had. And uh, Rock Nation was amazing with us, just amazing. Um, And really amazing to him, just Mm. amazing to Prince and treated him with respect and created the space for him to be very successful. So I left Prince, um, went to run a startup, uh, uh, to run uh, operations and sales at a startup. uh, And I was doing that for a while. So when I was ready to do this, I talked to Rock Nation Mm. and um, they were in very quickly and easily. Is this a venture investment for them? It is a venture investment. So they have a venture fund. They have a venture fund. They do have a venture fund. 
You don't see them super active. Is there a person here in San Francisco they're running in it, or the, they're based in New York? They're in New York. Got they're it. in New York. And, and they've invested in multiple companies. I think, I know they're in, um, I want to say Robinhood. I think they're in. Yeah, they might be in Robinhood. Yeah, I think they're in, I think we're one of the first small investments that they've done. I think right. they tend to do larger, probably post B. Does that mean you like get to go backstage at a Beyonce concert or something? Again, or? I mean, I have the, what they I just would had say, a crazy concert in Paris. I know they're so. I mean, best there. performers, two of them, and yeah. I and I think what Rock Nation is doing is incredibly amazing. And I think both um, Jay Z and also I think Desiree, who is their COO, Desiree Press, I can't speak highly enough about. Just yeah. I think they're some of the most ethical business people I've ever met. That's awesome. So ha- Prince, let's talk about that. I was just Prince. watching. Yes, tell me about it. I was just watching the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, where he joined a like all-star cast of guitarists yeah. to do while my guitar gently weeps the, yes, the Beatles song i guess mm-hmm. and awesome. he comes out and just makes the world's greatest guitar players look silly because he just yeah, crushes so it brilliant people forgot how good he of just a guitar brilliant. player he was just brilliant just some brilliant human how um, did you wind up with that gig uh, I, uh, I know I wish it's sometimes I think about even while I'm here, he'd be like, okay, what questions did you ask Jason? Did you do a good job? He'd be like, no, no, we did. Um, uh, I met Prince through Van Jones, uh, who's yeah. now on CNN yeah. and Van and I were friends and, uh, Van and Prince had often had a lot of, uh, time together hmm. and, um, they felt like they did a lot of conversation, but didn't have any action. Huh. And so they said, will you come help us do something in this concert in Chicago? And I said, Absolutely. And um, we did that successfully. And then he asked me to help with getting his master's back. And then we got his master's back. Yeah. And so once we got his master's back, he was like, you shall not leave. Ah. And that's how we ended up working together. Paisley Park? Is that the Yes. Amazing, amazing and space. Amazing. I, he, he just is, is one of the um, just, I don't think that you ever get to see, I've never seen that level of brilliance um, so close up. And I, don't, and I, to this day, have never seen that level of brilliance. And also just radical commitment to justice. Just radical from supporting Black Lives Matter to being a truth teller to getting off social media when he thought decisions had happened that were unjust. Um, just incredibly, just an incredible human that um, I will remain grateful forever for having had the opportunity to work with. Yeah. Such a shame that he died. Incredible. Mm-hmm. Opioids bad. Yeah. I mean, the system is broken. Um. And all his masters are coming out now. No will. So all no, his these masters things. Were out. So we got his masters really through his leadership um, many years ago. So what that meant is then he owned the rights to his own music. Yeah. So now what's happening is they're releasing it. Right. Yeah. Should they release it? Didn't he want to not release it? Um, what's I your think, take on that? Yeah, I think he was a perfectionist. Um, and just was very clear. He also had very strong beliefs about treating women appropriately, not yeah. using profanity. Yeah. And so, but he, you know, he didn't have a will. And I think that was, I don't think anything he did was not purposeful with things like that. I think, you know. Maybe he didn't have the will to just let it. You know, I don't know. I just, crazy. I just, you know, he, I think the thing that makes me, um, the, the only happiness I think you can have when you love someone, you lose someone you love that much is to see the way the world has responded to recognizing what a genius he was. Yeah. Genius is the right word. And yeah. That's word is thrown around way yeah, too much, especially no. in music. And it's just, if you just think about like our lifetimes, last 30, 40 years of like an amazing musician, like there's a lot of people who are in the music business and release albums, yeah. but who actually can play an instrument and compose. Yeah. No, I think, I mean, I once saw him get frustrated with folks. And then what he did then is he soundtracked every instrument on the stage. 
And so I thought watching someone do the piano, the saxophone, like do every instrument just made you realize how brilliant he was that he could play every instrument well. Yeah. People don't know that about him either. No. It's like I was just like, you know, very lucky to work with someone so amazing. If we were to change the criminal justice system here outside of what Promise is doing, but just big picture, what needs to change to make it a more just system and a more effective system? Yeah. I know you've probably given this a lot of thought. Yeah. Um, I think about the system in a lot of ways. One is I think about how it starts, right, which is who's most likely to be arrested. Mm -hmm. And so you think about technology claims that it's best to be a meritocracy, though I've not experienced that. Um, But at at first, we should at least know that the people that get arrested get arrested equally. Mm. Right. And so so first I think about who should get arrested. Right. Not the fact that it's most likely to be foster youth, black, brown and poor. So one, I think about how do you fix that? How do you deal with that? Right. Who gets arrested? Then once they get arrested, does does actual incarceration work and when does it work? Because one thing we know is people actually do more likely. I think even like to me, if the most progressive folks who believe in getting rid of prison and the Koch brothers both believe the system is broken, then you know it's fundamentally broken, right? (laughs) It's like there's no one saying it's not. So to me, the fact that you can be as conservative as the Koch brothers and as progressive as an abolitionist and believe the system is broken tells you the system is broken. So I think... I think there are amazing local programs that run really well and provide support, but there's not a program at scale that's making a difference. So it's not even as though you can say, do this instead, though I think there are people far smarter than I that have spent much more time with those things. Yeah, I went to the last mile. I don't know if you've been to that program. Yes, we're going to probably try to use them for our website. Oh, really? They have a program that does website design now. I I went there for maybe three or four hours, and I mentored and spoke to folks and it was the scariest moment of my life for a month. So? Scariest walking through the yard. Oh my I, gosh, really? That was the scariest moment of your life? One of the top. Yeah, I'm trying to think of like almost in a plane crash. That. Yeah, a couple of like life and death experiences. And yes. then see how walking nice to I'm the trying yard. to be on this po- podcast. Yes. I'm trying not to be as. But that was a. See, yeah. The yard was like. And they're like, don't go near the yard. Because. So messed the, up. Yeah. Yeah. The yard it's, is really it's dangerous. It reinforces all those stereotypes. Yeah. Just walk all the way on the right hand side. And here's what happens if everything yeah. goes down. Then I go into a smaller room with a group of whatever, 15 inmates. And yeah. we have this like very deep, profound discussion for three hours. Yeah. And it was one of the most touching, meaningful, like peak experiences of my life. But, right. you know, like which what a just, juxtaposition. Right. And which just talks about like discrimination expectations, stereotypes, yeah. right? Is that same group of people is probably sitting on the yard. Yeah. And what happens is when we see those people, it's about personal experience, about exposure to folks of color and about poor people, because the idea is right. Like you said, it's totally scary, frightening as I'm walking the yard. And then I get in a room and I meet people and I'm like, oh my God, kind, amazing humans, humans. And yeah. the reality humans is, planet right. They're in a system that cages them. Yeah. I was very protected, but, uh, I again have no doubt you wouldn't be, I'm sure but they it would. was, they were very clear, like things can go. Because I, I was like, I, I didn't take the invite the first two times, and yeah. I took it on the third time. Like, we really want you to come, and I was like, Yeah, I don't know. It's, but it ends up probably being profound because these are people that are getting invested in in the worst way, right? It's no one thinks you walk out of prison a better human, mostly. No, right? It's not designed to make you a better human. It's quite the opposite, right? right? Yeah, it's like designed to dehumanize you, right. make you give up, and lose all right. hope. So we take and... people who are probably the most poor, the most likely to have been in foster care, or the most likely to have not had good experiences. And then we spend a lot of money trying to dehumanize them. And then we're surprised when the system doesn't work. Yeah. So 
Daredevil comic book. A man without hope is a man without fear. Like if you right. take away all hope from people and right. you just make it that dark, right. like what do you think the outcome is going to be? Right. And we hope that my hope, I think, from Promise is not just that I know we will make the system better and I know we will grow, but that we will bring much more innovation and technology into the system. Yeah. We have to think about rehabilitation. I think some of the Scandinavian countries have Amazing. really mm -hmm. done interesting work where, mm -hmm. you know, they put people on an island, but instead of making it like Alcatraz, they make it like a rehabilitation island where they're not in boxes that are dehumanizing and cold, but they try to build trust and evolve people's thinking and reflecting on what they did and how they got there and, and maybe making a change in their life. And they, and if you look at the success rate, even of middle Eastern countries and people post incarceration, yeah. they do much better than we do. And yeah. so the fact that we let that be okay, that we think that people that go there should have be more likely to come back instead of making the system work better is fundamentally not acceptable to us. Yeah, we kind of have this like weird, the thing I always found weird is like, we have this weird sadistic, concept in america like oh yeah you go to jail to be punished mm -hmm. and you're going to be raped and beaten and terrorized and that'll like be the retribution you get when it's like that's well you think insane about insane and sadistic and we say people are high risk and then put them in some of the most high risk places yeah. and then let them out instead of figuring out how to decrease the risk level and so, and then you send them out, right? There was just a woman who lost her life recently here locally. She gets out at one something in the morning. You have a single mom getting out at one o'clock in the morning from a prison or here it's a local jail. And it's like the expectation I think we have of kind of, do we set people up for success is just unacceptable. And that it's this many people in our society, we have to do better. In related news, yes, I just got a note. Elizabeth Holmes is uh, raising money for her new startup. <laughs> I'm oh joking. Raised, stole hundreds of millions of dollars. Did a complete utter fraud. I not know. in jail. Yeah. So I mean, a dime I bag. Go to jail these... for a year. Yeah. We have to do something about these cannabis incarcerations retroactively. Well, San Francisco is doing some stuff. I think. I think we have to figure out how to reward. And I think every VC that invests in a weed startup that doesn't figure out how to help get people out of jail who did the same thing or to help create opportunity for people who've mastered the system is, you know, like I think being in venture, I didn't meet the best hustlers and business builders through venture capital. Mm. I met people who could afford to take time off in venture capital and the people who are creating companies. Cause it's like, who can afford to work for $50,000 or $0 for four years. Yeah, they, That's the same right. bootstrap, $0 <laughs> it's side like, hustle. Not right. if you have kids. Right. Right. Yeah. No, no. It's yeah. It's, who can afford it? Who could afford it? Yeah. yeah. Well, listen, uh, you're an inspiration. It's cool to see somebody doing great work. Um, and I wish you great success and congratulations to the investors. I wasn't included in this round, but who knows? <laughs> Maybe I can earn my way slowly uh, into Phaedra's next round. But continued success. And if you're a developer and you want to do meaningful work and get paid a decent uh, amount. We pay know. living wages. I'm not for I don't get the glory in being broke. Yeah. Theory. No, unnecessary. Yeah. Uh, living wage. Live in Oakland, which is super cool. Yeah. And uh, help change the world. And um, what more could you want? Go to joinpromise.com slash jobs. Yeah. Well, there you go. Slash jobs. I guessed it. And we will, uh, as a quick note, a uh, quick plug, Launch Scale is occurring October 10th and 11th here in San Francisco. Launchscale.net slash tickets. Launchscale.net slash tickets. And we give... The first 1,000 tickets away for free to founders. We only charge the VCs and those kind of folks. So if you want to come for free, you're my guest. LaunchScale.net slash tickets. 
and we'll see you at LaunchScale October 10th and 11th. If you want to buy All the Founders Lunch, email partners at launch.co, and you can become a partner, and that's how we do it. We get partners to buy lunch for everybody, and uh, that underwrites the giving away of 1,000 free tickets. We'll see you all next time. Bye-bye.